It is good to be in God's house this morning, and uh, you know, it's good to preach the Word of God, and it is a blessing to be called to preach, and it is a wonderful time to speak the truth of God's Word, but when you're speaking to your family, it's a little bit more in-depth, and it is more of a pleasure to speak to the church and to the people that I truly love, that I grew up with. Uh, but before we start the service this morning, I'd, I'd like to go in the Lord in prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we just come to you as uh, humble servants. We ask, God, that you would please, Lord, help us to open up our eyes to you, to the truth of what your word says, that we can apply your word to our lives, because there's so much things in your word, Lord, that we can learn from it. We can taste it, Lord, and we can grow in the spirit and knowledge of you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just open up our minds, our hearts, that we may understand your word and, and take the truth in and apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we move any kind of hindrances, things that happened last week, things that are going on today, things that are happening tomorrow. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will just focus solely on you instead of the things that are within our lives. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just move upon this service, that you would touch every broken heart or Every need that needs to be met, Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to see that, Lord, that you are a comforter, that you provide for us, Lord, that we focus on you. And, Lord, I thank you so much, God. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through me. Lord, I pour myself out to you, Lord, and your grace is sufficient. And you would use me as a vessel only for you that I step aside. And, Lord, that you may speak to us this morning. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I may not be... Very intelligent, but I learned something this week. I like learning things. You know, I, I, I do like going on YouTube and looking how to do things, and I do like to research and make sure that is what is truly being taught. But I did learn something about the animal kingdom, something about dolphins. I don't swim. I sink, actually. I, I'm terrified of deep water. So if you see me out in the ocean, it's, it's a sad day. But dolphins are actually quite intelligent, if you didn't know this. Dolphins are so intelligent that they might come to the point of being to the, the intelligence of chimpanzees. They can actually problem solve. They can recognize themselves in mirrors and say, okay, I recognize that dolphin. That's who that is. They can actually solve quite in-depth complex puzzles, and they can actually sometimes understand and respond to human language. And that's within training, probably at SeaWorld, and it takes time for uh, dolphins to, to learn that, obviously. But out in the wild, that doesn't make them any less smarter or dumber. They still have the intelligence. And I learned that uh, any kind of animals in the world, they, it's some weird name because I think it's a, crow, a, a murder of crows, and I think there's a, a flock of geese, a pride of lions, but a... Her, uh, a group of dolphins are actually called a superpod. A superpod. And these group of dolphins, when they travel in the ocean, the vast open sea, they travel in these superpods of, of groups, you know, elderly, people, elderly dolphins and young dolphins and baby dolphins, and they travel and they go in one direction towards the path that they have the most food and where they go, where they go to eat. But these dolphins have a natural predator. And that's one reason why I don't like deep waters is because of sharks. And I believe that most of you, if, if, one, if one rubbed you on the side of the leg, if you go into the ocean, would be terrified to death. But these sharks 
obviously look for food in these dolphins. But what these dolphins are so smart that when a, when a shark is coming to about to attack this group of superpod, this group of dolphins, that they start to group around the shark. And they are so agile that they start hitting the shark with their fins to try to stun them so they can maybe flee. And they're so agile and so uh, nimble that they, they could swim circles around these sharks. So while this shark is attacking, these dolphins are attacking the, sh the, the, the shark as well. And the, either they stun the shark and it, they flee away or the shark just gives up and leaves. As Christians, we, we have a villain as well. We have a shark. Or as scripture says that where there's a roaming lion, seek him whom he may devour. We have a villain as well. And some say that just like the shark is a natural part of life to feed and, and to feast upon these dolphins, it's also a natural part of life as a Christian to have an attacker, to have someone against us at all times. When we become a Christian, we automatically have someone against us. Spiritual attacks upon the Christians. Spiritual attacks among the church, as the church is the, as the local church and the church as the whole world church, is imminent and it is promised. Now, there in, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, we see the Israelites, and just like attacks are promised upon us as believers, there's a bigger promise. That we have that should outdrown and should over be overheard than what the attacks that we are facing day from day to day. But in Exodus chapter 17, we begin to follow the Israelites. And I think we've all learned through Sunday school that we see that the Israelites were led out of bondage out of Egypt. And they are following the promise that God has given them. They follow the deliverance of God out of Egypt. And they've faced trials and they've faced tribulation and, and troublesome times. They've seen so much, but they've seen the power of God work within them as well. They've seen God move within them and they saw the ten plagues and move and protect and provide for the children of Israel. He, they've also seen God provide for them to split the Red Sea. They've also seen God provide quail and manna in the wilderness when they were hungry. God still provided. Because why? Because God promised them the promised land. God promised them something more, something greater than the troubles that they face from day to day as the people of Israel. So in Exodus chapter 17, we look at one of the first encounters, the first things that happened right after exiting Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. Which the wilderness of sin is not just a wilderness of sin as in disobeying God. But this is actual, actually a geographical location. So after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water there for the people to drink. It was, it was desolate. It was dry. Wherefore the people did chide, they complained, they griped with Moses, and, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why, why do you chide with me? Why are you coming at me with this? Wherefore, do you tempt the Lord? 
And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us, and our children and our cattle will thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What do I do? What shall I do unto this people? And be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? See, just like I stated before, that the children of Israel, they have seen God work within the nation. They've seen God move upon them and protect them and provide for them, leading them out of captivity, out of, out of Egypt, and promised them to the promised land. They've seen him move. They protect over the ten plagues and splitting of the Red Sea and miraculous things that God has done for the people. God has been with them through so many times, so many times when it feels like we're, we're, we're against the wall and, and the Egyptians are attacking us and it seems hopeless that God has always been there. And earlier in Exodus 15, you saw them proclaim and worship God and say, with your faithful love, you will lead your people. You will redeem. You have redeemed. And you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. The people rejoiced in God and saw what God was doing with the people and for the people. But here, just two chapters later, they are griping and complaining about the things that's like, God, why have you led us into the wilderness to die? It is better to be in Egypt a slave than following the promised land, the things that you have promised us, God. They were able to praise God in the times when, when things were good. They were able to praise God in the times when it seemed like everything was great and God's promise is evident that we see it in front of our eyes. But when things got hard and when it says in verse 1 that it was dry and it was desolate and we're thirsty, they complained to God and they said, have you left us? Where are you, God? I'd rather be in bondage then follow your promise, God. And I dare to say that no one here would say the same thing when a trial hits up upon us our own life, that we would say, God, I'd rather be back in bondage and sin than be following you and your promise. No one would say that. But if we're not following God and we're focusing so much on other things and we, 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 we look at the, our, our own needs, then focusing on God's, and then that's what we're saying, that we say your promise is not strong enough, God. Your promise is nothing to me, God, if I'm so focused on mine. Are we willing to worship God even when it feels dry? Just like the current issue here in, in Exodus 17. The people just feel neglected from God. They see themselves in Rephidim, the, a place, a desolate place. And if you look, at the, if you look on a geographical map... It's actually in a peninsula, and it's like really close to Mount Sinai where Moses and God acquire and, and, and have the Ten Commandments come into play. And if you continue reading, it's through the, 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 the travels of the Israelites. 
there's always hazards upon them. They're always being attacked. They always hit some kind of speed bump in the road to the promised land of where God has them to go. They always face something. It's always one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. And time and time again, do we see the Israelites like an undulation going up and down. God, you're good. God, where are you at? God, you're good. God, where are you at? They have the evidence. They have the proof that God's promise is so strong that it will not leave them, but yet they are willing to so arrogantly to forget the promise that God has given. They're so quick to forget about God. The proof is there that God is the true sustainer of the people of Israel. Now, if you've been in a workplace in any kind of time frame, or if you're a supervisor or, or some kind of higher upper into any kind of workforce, I believe you've probably seen some kind of employees that would come in to the workplace and think they know the job without any training. Saying, you know, okay, I've been here, I, I've, I've never done this job before, but I'm your guy. I am good at this job, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to be the best. I'm sure everyone has encountered some of those people in, in their workforce before. And that gets irritating if you're not a supervisor and you're not willing to train. A lot of times they'll let them loose on you, thinking, okay, so now I've got to train this guy. It's up to me now for this guy so that we do the job properly. And if they continue on that path of saying, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to listen to any kind of judgment uh, or I'm not going to listen to any kind of uh, training that people are advice that people are going to give me two things end up happening and I, th I believe that most people have seen this two things end up happening one per either they don't learn from their mistakes and they and they keep on not listening to their supervisor and they last for about a month or two they actually listen to the advice or they mess up and they learn from their mistakes Israel they were arrogant enough to think that God abandoned them. They heard the advice and they heard the sayings of God. They've witnessed what God has said, but it seems like they're not willing to learn from what they have done. They would rather remain in Egypt. They would rather remain in bondage. But God never promised us when we became a Christian that he was going to remove any kind of struggle before us. Peace and prosperity doesn't come with a day-to-day -day action. That comes from the peace and prosperity that God gives within our hearts. He gives us peace, and we are prospered by his promise. In Romans chapter 5, 3, 3 through 6, it says, And not only so, but we glory in our tribulation also. We glory in our tribulation. We take joy in this. Why? Why is this possible when we're faced upon this the, a trial? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, when we were weak, when we were broken, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ could have taken the easy way out. 
He could have said, you know, I see this, this path that I have to take. I see that I have to die for the lost. He could have easily said, okay, I'll allow this to happen. I'll, I'll, allow, the Christian, I'll allow the people to follow me and, and be redeemed, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to tell you, that doesn't work that way. Christ had to take the sin upon himself and die upon the cross, or we would not be sitting here today and say we have a redeemer, because it would not work. Salvation would not work if Christ so easily gave up. But why are we so easily to say, I'm done? I'm being undone, so I am finished. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. If we are Christians, if we are who we say that we are as followers of Christ, then we should lead by example in saying that I have endurance just as Christ had endurance on the cross. Any kind of trial or, or, or tribulation that faces before us, it's going to happen. But we have Christ. We have God to lead us through this. Paul, he makes so many comments about this. He says, with, with my weakness, with the weakness that I have, God, is your strength glorified, is magnified, and seen through my weakness. Because you were there. You led me through that. As we continue in Exodus 17, Moses, he gives, there's some actions that are take place here, and I believe that we can apply it to our life. So if you go ahead and turn to, go back to Exodus chapter 17, continuing verse 8, and it says, Then came Amalek, so here we go, another battle facing before us. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow. And I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, and Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up on his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this in the memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. And he said, because the Lord sworn that the Lord uh, will have war with Amalek the generation to generation. I think there's some tactics and plans that we can take from this event, this battle that they faced, we, that we can face on a day-to-day -day basis when we are attacked with spiritual warfare. The first thing I would like to point out is that we need to plan to prepare for a battle. We need to prepare ourselves for when we are faced with a spiritual attack. So look there in verse 8 and 9. And then, Amalek, uh, uh, and then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out men and go out fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So if you look at Amalek, Amalek is one of the, the, the villains that Israel constantly and repeatedly comes into contact with. And Amalek, he's, he's a nobody. He, they're actually, 
they love to pray on the weak. In Deuteronomy, you see that he, they're going, the Israelites are going through a valley, and he just picks them off at the end. So he prays on the weak. Every single one of us is going to face, this, face some type of battle. Just like these children of Israel face Amalek, we will face something as well. And what do warriors need? What do warriors have to face any kind of enemy? They need weapons. You don't go into a battle with, with nothing empty hands unless you just got big burly arms, I mean, like, like me, you know. But that ain't going to happen. It ain't going to work. You're going to lose. Warriors need weapons. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished with all good works. This is our sword. This is our weapon that we have to face every single trial, every single battle that we come upon in spiritual warfare. This is our sword. The thing is, though, that so many of us poorly wield this. We don't know how to wield it. As soldiers need training, we need training as well. We can't just go into battle and say, okay, I've got my sword, so I'm going to win. We can't just say, okay, I know what God's word says, so I'm going to win. We have to have some form of training. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts of the intents of the heart. It's sharp, guys. This can cut us deep. But if we're not using it properly, then we don't know what the effects it'll have. If you look at the Crusades, they fought and they tore, and they tore through the Middle East, conquering nations, all in the name of God, taking the word of God and saying, this is what God has commanded, but how much damage and destruction and death did they leave in their wake? Too much. They raped and pillaged every place they come upon, and they took what they wanted, but they did not adhere to the word of God. They said they were. What about recently at the protest at the library? People having picket signs saying different things that they say that they share the love of God, but internally they are truly despising those who they say they love. Do they take the word of God to heart? In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, what does Christ say about it? He says, this is, in Christ is speaking to the Pharisees, he says, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. You think the words that you read give you eternal life. And they are which they testify me. The words that you say, they don't give you life, but they, they tell of the one that can give you life. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Christ says you wield the sword. You say that you know the scriptures and you search it and it tells about me. But if you're not willing to trust in me, if you're not willing to follow me, then you have got nothing. You're wielding the sword just plainly cutting and dividing asunder. You can know and quote all the scripture in this book that you can and all that you want. But it means nothing if you're not willing to allow Christ to live in you and through you. Christ is the one who leads and shows us how to prepare for spiritual warfare. 
He has given us the tools and the equipment for the battle, but he's also the trainer, the one that helps us get through the battle. Christ is the one that gives us training. As is Joshua, probably trained the Israelites for the battle of Amalek. Not only does God want us to plan and prepare for the battle ahead by studying and and following what the Spirit leads us to do, not by what our spirit wants, but he He wants us to plan to pray for the people. If we want to succeed, if we want to win at any kind of spiritual battle, in any kind of battle that we face as Christians, we have to plan to pray for our brethren. So in continuing in Exodus 17, verse 10 and 11, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, and Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now if you study on about Moses' life, you know that he is the great mediator between the people of Israel and God. And many times Moses pleads with God, saying, please don't bring destruction upon my people. For for Moses is part of the Israelites too. Many times Moses petitions with God. He even says, Lord, damn my soul if you save those of my people. He loved his people so much that he was willing to go to God repeatedly for the hurt and for the anguish and the suffering of his own people. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfishness, out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, considering others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest for others. If we care about others, if we care about the body of Christ, then why are we not praying for the body of Christ? And when I'm not talking about the local church, I'm talking about the people that are being persecuted overseas as well. What about the church across the street? Do we pray for them because there's lost souls going in there too? Do we pray for the body as a whole instead of focusing on what we want? What are selfish desires? Should we care about more about others than ourselves? This is what Christ commands us to do. To be selfless just like Christ was selfless on the cross. We should not focus on our, what our wants are, but what Christ demands. Does not Christ do this in his prayer in John chapter 17? Does he not... He prays for God's will to be done, but later on he says, pray for the people that will believe. He prays for us, he prays for the believers, and then he takes that action upon the cross. Do we have the same, uh, do we have the same uh, desire as Christ does for the people? Or are we being selfish as well? In Ephesians 6 verses 18, it says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all saints. For all saints. And later, earlier in that chapter, he talks about the armor of God, that we are equipped with different tools to face the spiritual warfare. 
We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, against the spiritual wickedness. But what's the last thing he says is that you should pray for all the saints. He emphasizes on all the saints. That's everyone here. That's everyone in Cookville. That's everyone at Life Church, at the River, Church on the Hill, to churches in Haiti. The body as a whole, should we pray for those? We're not the only believers here, guys. We're not the only ones here worshiping God on this earth. God commands us to prepare for the battle and also to pray for other believers and pray for the future church as just as much as Christ did. But lastly, he does ask us to plan to uplift each other. In, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, what does it say? But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, and one on one side and other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. As a paramedic, uh, especially working nights, we can get into some sticky situations, some, some very uncomfortable situations when it comes to patient care. Uh, but... Luckily, uh, we have a radio, so if we need backup or we need manpower, a lot of times if I, if I know that I'm going, probably going to go into something that I'm going to need help on, I say, I need some help. Give me some help. I need some backup. And I'd say about 75% of the time I do get help, but because working nights at 1 o'clock, some people don't want to get up and help. But a lot of times the, the People do want to help and want to help the people of their community and to help serve and help us as paramedics and firefighters and, and we get law enforcement in routes too. But if you look at Galatians chapter 6, 2 through 5, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It fulfills the law of Christ to bear one another's burdens. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burdens. Paul, he says to lend a hand to help your brethren in need when things are going rough and they're facing the trial. And a lot of times we are so, we, we are so selfish sometimes that we don't want to tell people about our burdens. But God knows, and that's all right. And, he, and sometimes God will lead other people to help us. But Paul, he says, lend a hand. Bear each other's burdens. Why? Because it fulfills the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? What did Christ do? He lended us a hand. To be of Christ is to be a servant. To take up on the call of servanthood. He carried our sins upon the cross and he bore our burdens for something that we could not carry. We can't carry our own sins. We can't say... I take my sin upon myself, and just like it said in there, Galatians, that, we, that, 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 that I, I can take care of my, my sin to the cross, and I am good, and, I might, and I'm going to be covered. But what does Christ say when we do that, when we say, I can take care of myself, is that he's going to leave us to that burden. He wants us to come to him. 
And he encouraged us as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, to do the same, to be like-minded as Christ is, to encourage the body, to lift the body up, to care for one another, to care for each other's burdens. If we think we can do it on our own, then we are folly and we do not speak the truth. For we are saying that we are better than Christ or we are just as like Christ when we say, I've got my sin, I'll take care of it. What does John chapter 15 verse 12? He says to love, thy, to love thy neighbor as thyself. For this is the greatest commandment that I give unto you is to love one another. Love is the key to the successful growth of the church. And I'm not talking about only this church, but if we love those outside of the church as well. If we do not express the love in here in our hearts, then it's not going to be expressed outside there where people mostly see us. When a lot of times the real self comes out. A relationship doesn't last long when you're not willing to share the love and give the love to others. My marriage and Lacey wouldn't last long if I did not share that I cared for her, that I loved for her. It would begin to close off and to callous and people wouldn't see that I love her because internally if I didn't share it then what does it mean to be married to give my love to her? For Christ he commands us to, to care for each other just as he has cared for us. And just as, as Moses as he prays for the Israelites Aaron and Hur they go up and they help him they carry Moses' burden and said we will help because we love the church we love Israel just as much as you do. We want to see God's promise be fulfilled and God's promise is not to see only this church succeed but the church out there as well to grow. If one of these things failed, if, they, if the people of Israel with Joshua did not prepare for battle, if Moses did not pray for his people and mediate with God for the people, if Aaron and Hur did not support and carry Moses' burden, I would believe that Amalek would prevail. The battle would be lost if we did not take into heart for the love for each other, to prepare for that battle, and to pray for the body. Sin does lead to death. It does. And I encourage if there's anyone lost here this morning, that you can, even though tr tr troubles come to, an, and to every single one, but to only try to have true relief is through the grace of God. But as a believer, that sin that bonds us to, to death, it hardens us and it blinds us to the mission that God has for us. Just like Israel, when they were seen upon the, a, a, a hard time and the water's dry, there's nothing there for me, and it's just, it's just hard, God. They forgot God was even there. They focused on their own selfish desires instead of the nation as a whole. And if we focus too much on ourselves, then we don't see what needs to be done out there, outside of this church where it truly matters. In, verse, in verses 14 and 15, Exodus 17, 
I believe this should be a call for every single one of us. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial and a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. Now, Jehovah Nissi, this means God is my banner. God is my banner. And I think that's so fitting. Because as Israel in this time, they, Moses built an altar for sacrifices and said, God is my banner. This is a rallying point for the people of Israel to move on and to face every battle in heart of what God has promised us. But as Christians now, we're not fighting emulate. We're fighting something greater, a spiritual warfare that's day to day, almost constantly through some of our lives. We have that altar too, and that altar is Jesus. The lamb that was slain is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That's the altar. And we put our eyes and our focus on Christ as our banner, is then we can have a rallying point for it to accomplish, to go forth and defeat the battle that is before us. Allow Christ to be our rallying point. Christ to be our banner, not ourselves. This should be what it means to be a follower of Christ and, 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 and to work functionally as a body as a whole. If we do these things, if we pray for each other and we lift each other up and we prepare for when we face these things, we place Christ at the center point of everything. If we revolve ourselves around Christ, then we should have nothing to fear. We should have no reason to why we should be scrambling around and, pre and say, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Well, I need to get my shield. I need to get my sword. When Christ is the one that sustains us and prepares us for the battle ahead. And this is not a one-time deal thing. This is not something that a, that a battle comes once in a lifetime. This is a constant attack because, like I stated before with the shark, he... He loves to prey upon the weak sometimes, and he loves to prey upon those that are not prepared, and that's when it seems like the attack is most devastating when we are not prepared for the attack ahead. As Cecil would come and prepare a song, as he would stand real quick for me. There's a battle facing us. But yet there's something greater that is promised to us and that is the kingdom of God and it is that is Christ in, in presence with us. And I love the songs that we sung this morning because it, it talks about a kingdom that, that we will one day inherit. But the thing is though, that can be now. The Christ that we will dwell with in eternity, He's dwelling with us now if we only choose to allow Him to. Scripture's strong. It can help us fight. But we have to allow Christ to fight with us instead of fighting with ourselves or with each other. If you don't know Christ this morning and if you're willing to, to allow him to, to help fight your battles and, and to lead you through so many things, then the altar is here. He is willing to save you. He, he is able to. If you just trust and believe in him, if you need encouragement, if you need to, to, to pray about things, then I encourage you to come.